Welcome to Balthazar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth, a series of conversations about the life and teachings of Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, who is considered to be one of the most important Catholic intellectuals and writers of the 20th century. Incredibly prolific and diverse, he wrote over 100 books. He is also co-founder with Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger of the acclaimed theological journal, Communio. It is the purpose of this series of programs to introduce some of the themes of Balthasar's work, and perhaps to help some understand better why Hans Urs von Balthasar is so important for modern theology and for the lived experience of the Church today. Balthasar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by Sister Jill Goulding to discuss Hans Urs von Balthasar's Unless You Become Like This Child. Sister Jill Goulding is a professor of systematic theology at Regis College, the Jesuit School of Theology in Canada, located at the University of Toronto. She is a sister of the Congregatio Jesu, an order founded in 1609 by the Venerable Mary Ward, which has the same constitutions as the Society of Jesus. Sister Gilles' doctoral studies were undertaken at the University of Edinburgh, Scotland. She lectured in systematic theology for the University of Edinburgh and the Roman Catholic National Seminary in Scotland. Among her many scholarly writings, she is also the author of A Church of Passion and Hope, The Formation of an Ecclesial Disposition from Ignatius Loyola to Pope Francis. Alongside her work as a theologian, she undertakes a ministry of spiritual direction and retreat work. In 2012, she was appointed by Pope Benedict XVI to be a theological expert at the Synod on the New Evangelization for the Transmission of the Christian Faith. In one of the last books written before his death, the great theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar provides a moving and profound meditation on the theme of spiritual childhood in Unless You Become Like This Child. Is one of the last books written by Hans Urs von Balthasar before his death. Somewhat startlingly, von Balthasar puts forth his conviction that the central mystery of Christianity is our transformation from worldwide self-sufficient adults into abiding children of the Father of Jesus by the grace of their spirit. After giving us the numerous weighty tomes comprising the, the theological trilogy, von Balthasar, as a kind of last will and testament, proclaims to a self-important and dreadfully earnest generation of contemporaries that the only person who is lastingly wise, thoroughly fulfilled, is he who allows God's mercy to give him second birth and surround him for good with maternal care. We now begin our conversation with Sister Jill Goulding on Hans Urs von Balthasar's Unless You Become Like This Child. Sister Jill, thank you for joining me. I'm more than delighted so to do, Chris, especially to consider one of Father Balthasar's works. And this one is very beautiful. It's just lovely. It's a smaller book, but as we will discover with most books by Hans Urs von Balthasar, there's nothing small ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's small, but it contains so much. Maybe I'm recalling Julian of Norwich when she talks about the hazelnut. 
that you can look at something so tiny and wonder, and yet it contains the universe. And in many ways, that's what we find with Balthazar, isn't it? I think that's very true. As you say, it's a small work. It was one of his last books written before his death, but it has a profundity in itself. It's a profound meditation, really, on the theme of spiritual childhood, um, which is a key mystery in itself. And in a sense, I think, has such an important message for us today, that sense of the transformation from being self-sufficient adults into being children who really, as it were, dwell in the relationship as being children of the Father, and the Father of Jesus by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps in this kind of time of the pandemic, when many of us have been shaken to a deep realization of our own fragility and vulnerability, this is something that speaks very poignantly to us. For him, it was kind of like a last will and testament. It reminds me in many ways, Chris, of when you read the Gospel of St. John, which always comes across, I think, as the reflection of someone with great maturity and wisdom and a long, long and deep experience in relationship with the Lord. And this is, seems to be uh, at the heart of all that he is saying in this wee book. The sense that um, the reality of understanding that it's the merciful love of God that calls us to this little way, as it were. It's very reminiscent of uh, the little way of Saint-Thérèse of Lisieux. A little way that is uh, grounded in that love of God for us. And yet at the same time, in an interesting way, it actually does give insights um, from early child psychology and the life of Christian childlikeness, seeing that as a sort of a real sense of, of deep maturity, which is possible to the Christian. What first drew you to this book? And, or if I could even ask even deeper than that, what has it been about Balthazar that would even compel you to pick up this, as you call it, this wee book? I think um, from the time that I was a novice, when I m made my first profession, I was given a copy of The Glory of the Lord. Uh, by a friend, and that's the first volume of Balthazar's massive trilogy. And as I began to read that, I became hooked, I think that would be fair to say. And why I was hooked into studying further on his work is because he seemed to have such an extraordinary vision, an organic vision, where spirituality and theology came together, and not just, as it were, in terms of these things called spirituality and theology, but he seemed to have a vision that brought all of life into a, a common whole, and he saw it as invested, every part of life as invested by and illuminated by the reality of our relationship with God. And how that caused us then to be 
informed by that in our relationships with one another. And to me, that was just such a wonderful vision. Mm. And I think even today, uh, a substantial number of years later, when I teach courses, as I do at the university here in Toronto, at graduate school, the Jesuit graduate school here, when I teach courses on Balthazar, that's what my students have a sense of. It's almost as though you can see them like, you know, flowers that are growing. And then when the sun comes out, they sort of turn their faces, as it were, mm. towards the sun. That's very much how I see my students. They sort of suddenly perk up and when they realize what they're engaged with. Now, it's not to say that at that level, Balthazar can be quite dense and some of the material that we use is quite dense. But at the same time, once they be, have a sense of who he is, then they have a feel for, I'm going to engage with this because this, this has something important to say. And I think that's how I endeavor to teach him because that's how I have received him. And I've received him as an author who I think is incomparable in terms of uh, what he can give to us in this area of theology. And my students often are not just Catholics, but they are also, they come from uh, particularly the evangelical Anglican tradition, and they are very drawn to him. Their background would be in uh, the work of Karl Barth, another 20th century theologian, who incidentally was friends with Balthazar, and uh, Balthazar wrote a book on Barth's theology, and Karl Barth said of that book, he thought it was the best interpretation of his work. So there is a sense in which Balthazar had a, an ecumenical outlook, and people in different traditions, particularly the Reformed tradition, seem to really appreciate that. In this particular book, Unless You Become Like This Child, he gives us a glimpse of that spiritual childhood, that in reflecting upon the importance of the call of Christ to be like little children. An excerpt from Chapter 1 of Unless You Become Like This Child by Hans Urs von Balthasar. Jesus does not seek out a model child in order to hold him up as an example. Things are much simpler. Then he took a child, placed him in their midst, put his arms about him, and spoke to them. What he wants to show with the child he is lovingly embracing is something very simple, which the listening disciples should be able to understand as easily as the meaning of a straightforward parable. And yet, because Jesus is embracing the child as he speaks, his simple words acquire an unexpected, still undetected significance. The Jews, along with the Greeks and Romans, saw childhood as a stage on the way to fullness of humanity. It occurred to no one to consider the distinctive consciousness of children as a value in itself. And because childhood was ranked as merely a not-yet stage, no one was concerned with the form of the human spirit, indeed the form of man's total spiritual corporal existence, that preceded free moral decision-making. 
But obviously for Jesus, the condition of early childhood is by no means a matter of moral indifference and insignificance. Rather, the ways of the child, long since sealed off for the adult, open up an original dimension in which everything unfolds within the bounds of the right, the true, the good, in a zone of hidden containment which cannot be derogated as pre-ethical or unconscious, as if the child's spirit had not yet awakened or were still at the animal level, something it never was, not even in the mother's womb. That zone or dimension in which the child lives, on the contrary, reveals itself as a sphere of original wholeness and health, and it may even be said to contain an element of holiness, since at first the child cannot yet distinguish between parental and divine love. Although it derives from a concrete encounter, and thus does not at all communicate an abstract concept of being, this intuition is wholly unbounded and reaches to the ultimate, to the divine. You know, I'm struck that in chapter 1 he talks about how Jesus does not seek out a, quote, model child, unquote, yeah. in order to hold him up as an example. I think that's important for us to hear today, isn't it? Exactly. He actually chose the child that was nearest in the crowd, whom the mothers were pushing forward and the disciples were pushing back. So in a way, that's so helpful because it could be any of us. In a way, the, the child of the title, unless you become like this child, is Jesus himself. And as we begin to explore the book, that, that comes home to us. But at the same time, too, there is that sense that why did Balsar talk about this child? Because Jesus is always the child of the Father. That relationship is consistent throughout his life. There's a sense in which it's true to say that he never leaves, as, as Balsar expresses it, the bosom of the Father. At the same time, through the loving mercy of God, he comes to be, through the incarnation, a human being amongst us, fully human and fully divine. And in this unique child that is Jesus himself, there is, as it were, um, an ongoing direct continuity, both with the Father and with ourselves. So there is a sense in which he's calling us to see that even in the most insignificant of children, the reality is we can see something of the, of the reality of Jesus himself. What's intended here um, is really, it seems to me, Balthazar trying to open up something of a profound mystery in the very being of Christ. Because Jesus' own identity is inseparable from his being a child of the Father, and at the same time, calling us to churn in this direction of spiritual childhood. As you said, he doesn't seek out this model child, but he calls us to embrace in the simplicity, the reality of what child, childhood is. And there's just one particular place that I would like to sort of raise up. Because in a sense, I think we fail to see nowadays, because we think so much in terms of the laws we put in to protect children and the various uh, considerations that we have of children, we forget that in, in Jesus' time, 
both the Greeks and the Romans had a sense of childhood only as something on the way to something else. There wasn't any kind of value for the distinctive consciousness of a child. They were, as it were, an adult in preparation, which is not to value the child. Now, what Jesus does then is that he opens up this sense of the reality of a child in their own right, that within their own consciousness, they have a feel for what is true and what is good. And I think we, ha we have a sense of that in our own understanding of children. Children have an extraordinary perception, it seems to me, as I observe my nieces and nephews and such. They know they have a very keen attunement to what is authentic and what is not. But they also, at the same time, and they are drawn towards authentic, they have, they have a, a vulnerability and a fragility which really calls for not just their parents, but for any who engage with them to, to be protective of them, to be conscious of that fragility. And I think, I mean, Balthasar raises the point that this is why Jesus utters that awful sort of condemnation of those who would in any way put an obstacle in the way of children. So there is a sense in which the child is both a, an example for us so that we have a feel for maturity is not just about, as it were, getting beyond childhood, but rather as one young a woman author, she died young, wrote once that, and I put it in her word, the fight is not for power or riches, beauty or learning or long procession of people that we love. But it, it, the fight is to find the way back to being a little child again. And she said, you've got to grow up to become as a child. You've got to learn by unlearning. Mine's one of Etiette Elliot. You've got to imagine not to know because there's a wisdom that is not an accumulated knowledge, but is in something innate to our very being. And it's as though, as it were, that the Lord has put into our heart this a gift of grace to be able to respond to God's movement of love. That there is, a, as it were, um, a concrete spontaneity in a child that does respond to that if they have that, a, a good foundation where they know themselves loved, then in a sense, this is part of the, their innate response to that love. Sister Gilles, you know, I was wondering, in one of the portions of chapter one, Balthazar would talk about what happens when we look at the child that Jesus is pointing to and he makes a notation that essentially says that this is right before a definitive break occurs when a young person enters the age when he must decide for or against evil. There's that moment, isn't there, that there is such a, an innocence, yes. even not the perfect child, <laughs> and yet uh -huh. there comes that moment. It's hard to say as a parent, I've had three kids, 
it's that moment where that break between knowing and choosing for or against evil is different. And it depends on the life of that particular child. It's really unique, isn't it? Absolutely. And in a sense, I think that's where initial relationships of love are so key. Interestingly enough, Pope Francis was speaking about something of this um, in his general audience in the Apostolic Palace. And what he was saying was the importance, he was talking about prayer and the importance of teaching a child how to pray. And he gave an example. He said that uh, he knew of some, he said nothing in our immediate contemporary sense, he said, but he'd heard of a story years ago now of a politician who was an atheist, well, avowed atheist. And, um, but he, this politician remembered um, when he was a child seeing his grandmother pray. And when this politician got into a particularly difficult situation, this the memory came back to him and he began to pray using the prayers that he remembered his grandmother saying. And in that way, actually, he came back to, back to faith. But there's something about the fundamental, the foundations that are laid in early childhood. He talked about it being like a seed of life which may get covered over during the course of a life, but also if the seed is firmly rooted, it can sprout at other times. And I think that's sometimes helpful for parents, especially you know, families that you know they've done everything that that they, you would have hoped they would do, and children still go off the rails or they do what they do. And trying to encourage the parents in terms of both continuing to pray for those children, but also saying, but the seeds that you have sown, the Lord will not leave fruitless. And I think that that is, is very important for people to remember. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know the time and the place when those things will come to be fruitful. This concludes part one of our conversation with Sister Gilles Goulding discussing Hans Urs von Balthasar's Unless You Become Like This Child. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with many other episodes of this series, visit bonbalthasar.com. There, too, you can also access numerous audio excerpts from this book, along with others from the Balthazar Library. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will consider subscribing to this podcast and liking it on whatever platform you may be hearing it on. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about vonbalthazar.com and join us for the next episode of Balthazar, Beauty, Goodness, Truth.